Welcome everyone to Rocket Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, we are here, we are going to break down uh, the, the glory of the Mizzou basketball program and the uh, reignition of the border war rivalry with Kansas. I am your host, Sam Snelling, and I'm going to bring along our good friend, Matt Harris, to discuss everything that happened. Matt, how are you? I shouldn't have watched the tape, man. Shouldn't have done it, but I did it. Should have just lived with ignorance and just looking at the statistical breakdown of this game rather than watching the live events that transpired a couple days ago. Did you watch it all? Um, no, I was Saturday? driving uh, to Columbia to go watch the Norm Stewart Classic, which uh, I thought was a great use of my Saturday. That That's a fun event. Um, I think they've got something nice going there. Um, so yeah, I was, um, driving between Effingham and St. Louis for most of that game, which I'm sure was safe. It was like big open spaces where if you need to pull off and probably like go yell, you can, um, you know, you're very isolated and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I did that and I listened to the solving basketball podcast while I drove. So it was probably good for my mental health that I did that instead of watching it live, um, hooked into Twitter or something. Solving basketball, of course, is uh, is Jordan Sperber's uh, podcast. I started listening to that recently as well. Um, I think mainly because I, I think originally I, I saw that he was talking to Ken Palm, and I wanted to hear what Ken Palm had to say, uh, and then. And then he also had an episode with Kim English. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and really not trying to uh, scout out any future potential head coaches. Um, I just wanted to hear what Kim had to say because I, I think, think he's an insightful guy. Uh, and then I also listened to the uh, Nico Medved. Again, not, not scouting any potential head coaches. Uh, for the future at M- Missouri, but just curious what uh, what Medved had to say and then sort of his approach to to basketball. It seemed pretty offensive minded. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you made it to that episode, but I, I did. I I, I, uh, I liked Medved's episode because I think he, he did a really nice job talking about how he evolved as a coach schematically and sort of how he's how he grew and how he sort of like took different pieces and tried to integrate them. And eventually he realized that he no longer ran the base offense he started with, he had kind of created something wholly new. So that was interesting just to hear him talk about like identifying the pieces he liked and talking about how he worked with his staff to integrate them into triggering actions. Like it was just nice. If you're really, really wonky and you really care about that type of stuff, it's really, <laughs> uh, which I doubt I'm our, our listen. Well, if our listeners are tuning into us, who knows, maybe they're a glutton for that kind of content. Um, but that's what was more interesting to me is I, I get a real Jones out of, hearing coaches talk about their process and how they sort of identify and evaluate pieces and how they go to their staff and try and integrate some of those things into what they already do pretty well in their program. So that was interesting. And even like, even down to like the, the part about how he was using, uh, like they, he was anti whiteboard and became, you know, like calling plays out on the whiteboard. Uh, and it, and then he was like, you know, not so much that we're just we're calling specific set plays, but we're calling actions that we want to see kind of get into. And our guys know how to kind of get into those actions. And it's just like, wow, what a what a wild concept that you've drilled action so much. <laughs> your, guy, your guys know them. 
And, you know, I think he was, I, I also liked, and I promise we'll talk about Missouri basketball here, folks. I liked how he was kind of talking about how, <laughs> how they weighed, like, what do they do in 5v0 and how they, like, want to teach guys to play out of stuff and timing. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like, if you just want to know how install works and how coaches go about doing that, it's a really, really um, interesting, pro- it's a really interesting sort of podcast. It's only, like, 30 or 40 minutes long, so it's not, like, a long-winded thing. Like, they get through everything pretty quickly. Yeah. That's what I did. Instead uh, of watching the Missouri game until today, when I watched the first half. So I watched a little bit of the game um, on, like on Saturday, and then I, uh, I went and watched the whole thing last night. Um, so I was like casually ca- kind of paying attention for like the early going, went about what I thought, uh, and then I caught a little bit of the first part of the second half. Um, and it was, it was nice to see, you know, through a few stretches, Missouri kind of make some shots. Um, in particular, it was nice to see like, you know, Trevin Brazil kind of get out there and, uh, and get some longer looks. Uh, you can kind of tell he's still kind of figuring out some things as far as like the speed of the game is concerned. Um, he had a like couple passes. You're like, whoo, that was, that was almost really bad. Um, but you know, you can clearly see all the tools and all the things that I think we spent a good portion of our off season talking about why we like this kid. So it was good to see that. Uh, it's nice to see, uh, you know, Anton Brookshire get some additional run. Uh, he's look, looks to be taking on a little bit of a larger role, which is nice, but your takeaway, um, was much the same as my takeaway and that the thing that I most expected to see from like this version of the Tigers is the thing that seems to be failing them almost like most often. Uh, and that's the defense. Um, they're just not a good defensive team. And whether that's, you know, like whatever responsibility, you know, obviously Martin's the head coach, he bears pretty much the entire responsibility, but, you know, guys not absorbing, you know, obvious scouting uh, things like, you know, maybe you don't want to leave Christian Brown uh, alone at the three-point line to cam threes. Seems like a bad idea. You know, Ochai Baji is another guy, pretty good at making three-point shots. Probably don't want to lead him. And and Missouri did. And they got themselves buried early. And if you get buried early in Allen Fieldhouse, like you're you're cooked. Like you're not coming back. You're they just were, cooked. Get blown they were out. cooked in the first five minutes, if we're being yeah. honest. I mean, you could have like flipped off after that. Um I thought they did a pretty good job of when Kansas, I think about five, six minutes in, rolled to their small ball lineup with Wilson and um, Lightfoot as the four and the five, I think things got to where Missouri could kind of get a little bit of a foot in the game, a foothold, because they weren't having to worry so much about post-ups because Mitch Lightfoot's kind of a guy who's going to, you know, hunt for screen and roll action. So you don't really have to worry about, you know, who's going to be, are you going to send nail help? you going to send wing help? You know, where are you going to, help off you can kind of just switch it a little bit more and you just have the 
Problem is when you don't tag Mitch Lightfoot as a roller, that that's a problem, but you're not having to play as many straight post-up possessions off of that. Um, and you're not having to account for a lob threat to McCormick. So I think things got easier for them when they went to that five out sort of look for Kansas. And Missouri got some shots to drop. Javon Pickett, you know, managed to get some hero ball ISO stuff going. And they got, I think, the lead down to seven or something. And it felt like... Yeah, Seven or twenty-eight, twenty-one. Yeah, uh, yeah. They got it. Sort of felt like they had a little momentum at that point. Yeah, and like it's about eight minutes left in the first half or something, and then they sub in Jordan Wilmore. They have a turnover immediately, trying to throw a post entry to him. There's a run out. There's a layup. They come back. There's a missed runner or something. Ku comes down. There's the phantom call, which showed up on Twitter of Agbaji. Um. So now it's like, I think, 32-21 or something, or 30-21 at that point. Missouri comes back down. Wilmore gets tied up. You can already tell, like, coming to the front court that Zoe's just oiled over, gets teed up. Like, at that, you know, even if they don't hit the tech free throws, at that point, like, it was just, it was over at that point. Like, Kansas had kind of stretched it back to 11. KU gets a couple runouts, and now they're cooking again. Like, it was just... It felt so tenuous there, and like I think I was saying in our Slack channel, like before we potted, literally before we started potting, like it felt like that was a stretch where it was like you just chucked the rotation at that point. You're like, I'm going to keep my small ballish guys out here. We're going to, if David McCormick's going to beat us on post-ups, that's fine. We'll trade two for twos, but we're going to have enough athleticism to switch a little more to close down guys. But they didn't, and they went back to you know, Jordan Wilmore, who's a guy after this game, I think Missouri's like got a minus 26 net rating with him on the floor. It gives up 1.05 points per possession with him on the floor. Like, and I realize like every week we wind up sort of like ripping or bagging on Jordan, but like, that's, that's not the fault of him right there. Like that's a situation where I think you've got to recognize like, okay, we're going to get to the under rate here. Let's just see if we can stretch it a little bit here just to get our guys there. If we have to, We'll put Jordan in on a dead ball, get a minute out of it, a possession or two, and then we'll come back. But we're not going to go two or three minutes with him on the floor, and that's what it wound up being. And Kansas stretched it back to 14, and then they put the finishing move on in the final two minutes when they went on like that 7-0 or something run to end the half. It was, And then he like elbows Lightfoot in the head. Yeah. Like, so it, here, here's my general take on, on Jordan Wilmore. Like I, I kind of see what they're trying to accomplish when they went, you know, when they have him around, like he's overwhelming with his size. And I think they're trying to sort of replicate what Purdue has with, with Edie, but the uh, Zach Edie is a much better basketball player, much more fluid uh, seven foot four inch guy. Um, he has, he has really good feet and a, Above everything else, he has great hands. Good decision maker so, too. Like that's that's a big key when you're talking about a dude that big. And Wilmore does not have good hands. Like even the layups that he kind of puts in, they sort of like bounce off his hands. Like there's no sort of catch and finish. Um, and so you have this guy who is is not good offensively. And look, if if you want to say like it's a project, I get it. And you want to reward him with some minutes, I get it. That's but fine. not in that moment. Not in that moment. Right. And then like he continues to make these kind of like 
severe mental errors. Like he tackled a guy at Liberty. Or was that Eastern Illinois? I can't remember. I think it was Liberty. Was it Liberty? Yeah. Like he basically grabbed. I mean, dude, like you're you're 350 pounds. You could really hurt somebody. <laughs> and he's like, he's just like wrapping guys up. And it's like, what what are we doing? I don't I don't understand. I don't understand the Wilmore thing. I do think that if you want to reward a guy for his hard work, you still think he's a project. You still think you can get whatever it is out of him. Fine. But it's like you were saying, like, you know, there's a there's a, a dead ball uh, that's 45 seconds before a media timeout. Okay, like, let's see if we can steal a few possessions and and, and put him in the game. But they don't do that. They they run him out there for extended periods, and it and it just he's so easy to exploit defensively. You know, particularly for uh, you know for teams that are smart, like Kansas. Kansas is a smart basketball team. Uh, they're they're well coached, well prepared, and the minute he gets in the floor, you know they're going to take advantage of all of his his defensive weaknesses. They lift so, they they lift McCormick to run basically a back screen action where he can then roll it like they they put the guy in space they lift him off the baseline and then it's just like all right we got four guards you can get to the rim now and the rim protectors at the nail yeah and by the by the time he recovers like the ball is already on the backboard yeah like it's it's too late so point being i thought that just like there was a toehold they had fleeting where if they could have gotten to the four under four timeout where it held that Maybe you could have like gone into the, you could have like tried to get to the locker room. You're down seven, eight, nine, and then you get in. You're like, okay, we're gonna make these adjustments to the defensive coverages in the half court. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna you know really emphasize these actions coming out of the locker room. We want to get into these plays. This is what we want to do. Like the adjustments at that point, I think are you know in game adjustments. You know, or just like what do we want to get to in our series? What do we want to run? And they just couldn't get there because they just could not hold, keep that hold in the game there. Um, But back to your point to start this before we got into the Wilmore hole. um, Just didn't know the scouting report. Just, I think I'm looking at my notes right now. I've got like five scouting report gaffes in the first five minutes. Helping off Brown, not finding Agbaji in transition. Pickup point is low for the for KU in transition. No one's trying to get the ball picked up or stopped. You know, somewhere just over half court. You know, later on in the first half, they don't tag Lightfoot on a roll, which you have to do because that's how the guy scores. There's not, you know, <laughs> you know, nobody's sprinting back to the rim before help gets back to build the wall, and then you know, you just see Braun running down Brown running, running down the right wing. Sticking a hand up like a guy on a go route and getting a layup. Like, there's just stuff that, like, again, we are not paid $3 million. We're not paid $250,000 as assistant basketball coaches. But you can look at Synergy. You can watch Kansas play. And you can go, there are five, six things you need to absolutely take away from that team. And Missouri took away none of them. Like, that, and it's not like crazy scheme it's like oh man bill self ran this nifty action here it's like they ran a weave action with a step up screen and oh crap hey, they, they, they did they did blow up their lava temp 
that the uh, the the vaunted you know KU lob for a dunk that they seem to get like teams have figured that out. Game. Teams have kind of figured that out now. They've kind of yeah. they've sniffed that action out. So good on Missouri. They figured they they got that scout right. <laughs> good, good, good job. You, you got that one. The whole thing about maybe don't leave Christian Brown wide open. Yeah. Like there was uh, some stuff like I saw somebody like comp- I saw people complain like how's nobody getting out to Dewan Harris and I want to be like okay okay that's that fine that was in the scout <laughs> <laughs> that was fine yeah he hadn't made a three yet right he'd made one so it was like I'm fine if you bail out there for middle help because it's like look if Dewan Harris beats us from corner threes whatever man we were just screwed today but. Maybe the scout should have included uh, that he's from Columbia, Missouri, and it's his birthday. So, of course, he's going to make threes today. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, I'm debating whether I'm going to watch second half. I probably will because I got to see. I got to see Sean Dewar Gordon say that my time is now. But, um, yeah. Well, so, I, I feel like I've said this before, and if if. You know, if I've said it on the podcast, I I apologize to our listeners. But the thing to me that has been the most striking about this season is like all the hallmarks that we've seen from Martin and his teams uh, since he's been at Missouri. Like, I just don't see those things with this team. Like, I don't see them prepared or look prepared. Like, one of the things I felt like we could always count on, even when even when they were bad, like even when uh, year two, when fighting through injuries and not really having a leading score and basically relying on Jordan Geist to go for like 28 points to have a shot to win. Um, like you could see what they were trying to accomplish defensively and offensively. And they were usually pretty prepared to to counter what the other team was was going to try to do and uh, you just don't see any of that this year like like it's almost like every single guy and and look i do think there's a, a huge learning curve for younger players and guys that have to like when you're the best player like anton brookshire and trevin brazil suiting up at kickapoo you don't need to worry about scout you're better than the other team right yeah, but it shouldn't be you, 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 Yeah, but it shouldn't be James yeah, like, Pickett. Like you're like those guys have a learning curve of how to be able to absorb and apply a good scout because the guys on the other side of the floor are just as good as they are. But but that's not the guys who are starting the game. The guys who are starting the game are all veterans. Guys who should know how to do this stuff. Especially Kobe and Javon, who've been with this team now for three and four years so you expect these guys to be able to do all of these things and yet one of the biggest culprits defensively against kansas was javon pickett so it's just it's it's baffling to me that and you know again like i i I do think that them being bad was always within the realm of possibility uh you just can't assemble you know, the talent that they did and not at least think that that's a possibility. But, but I thought 
based upon four years of evidence, that they would at least be okay. And they're just not. Yeah. And the thing about it is you make choices as you develop guys in your program. And like, (laughs) we mentioned it earlier. Like there are things that are mistakes that like Javon Pickett and Kobe Brown would make that other guys who've been in this program and have since moved on had a shorter leash for and were sat, pulled, saw their minutes paired. And like that, those same things aren't happening here. And like, to your point that you've made about playing the younger guys, I think that's gotta be, you know, the stick to the carrot right now, which is like, look, you're the veterans. You're supposed to be the guys that we have who one, we can rely on who we can trust to do this consistently and also, we need you to model that for the guy so they can see what that looks like. But if you don't do it, then we're going to, we'll give your minutes to the guys and we'll let them, young guys, and let them learn. And I'm at the point now where I'm just like, if the result's going to be the same, but you're going to have, it's going to help, you know, Sean Duregord, and it's going to help, yeah, okay, it's going to help some of these young guys get calloused and get, you know, a sense of perspective on what they need to do and critical experience, then I think you do that. And I think you need that for an accountability tool with your veterans at this point. Like I, I think, you know, good on Javon for getting 13 points in the first half, even though the offense still looked like a meandering, aimless wreck at times. Like good. You filled up the scoring column, but you, some mistakes gave up nine or 10 at the other end. Like, it's inconsequential at that point. Like if like Sean Duvergorn, you and I have watched some mistakes he's made defensively. I'm like, Oh boy. But like, it's, it's not an F an issue of like scouter thing. It's just like experience. He needs to go through that and make those mistakes and, and, and play through them a little bit. And that's how you get better. But like, if that's the choice of a guy, you know, learning how to stand up and walk as a freshman verse, you know, just letting some of this stuff slide, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, is it going to have a material impact on the record at the end of the year? Probably not. So like, just it, it restore some accountability and get some minutes to guys who are going to, you know, be the future of your program at this point. That's, that's just where my head's at. Well, yeah. And I tend to kind of think that it's the only way at this point that he can save his job. Like the only hope that you can save, I mean, barring a complete uh, and utter turnaround, um, which I don't think any of us envision at this point. I mean, they're going to win a game here and there. It just, it's, it's bound to happen. But I think the only way that Konzo could possibly save his job, and maybe, you know, like maybe he doesn't want to save his job. That's why he's, Maybe he's not giving these guys a scout. (laughs) Uh, I doubt it, but I think the only way that he saves his job is is by going young and and having a team take a lot of lumps early and start to figure it out. And then by the end of the year, they're they're competitive and they're winning games and and not all the games, but but it's sort of like, you know, I compared it to Robin Pinchton. Uh, and like the team that, that she had when, you know, when Asia Blackwell and Haley Frank were 
taking a lot of lumps a couple of years ago. You know, two years ago, that team was getting blasted out, out of the gym every night. And then the next season, those same teams that were just blowing them off the floor, also those are close games. And then now this year, like, and granted, they went down and got spanked in Springfield. But this year, you know, like, they went on the road to, and, and, like, went toe-to-toe with Baylor, which is a top-10 program. So I think, like, that's what you have to look at because, the, really, the only hope for this program going forward is that, you know, like, and I really think, like, four of those guys have to hit. If four of those guys hit, uh, and at the end of the year, you're making noise, then I think you have a case. Because unlike Kim Anderson, Konza Martin has a track record. Like, his track record is, you know, like he's made the NCAA tournament two of the last four years at, at Missouri. Uh, you know, he's never really had teams bottom out like this. So that is his track record. Kim Anderson was awful for for two full years. And we knew after the second year when he basically was returning another awful team that they were going to be bad and he was going to get fired. Like, and that's what happened, but that's not this situation. And so that's why I think there is still a way for him to save his job, but he has to, he has to go in on youth. And if, if Anton Brookshire and Trevor Brazil and Sean Dewar Gordon, uh, those three, and then, you know, Kaida and, uh, you know, and, and little Caleb, uh, you know, one of those two guys also can help out. And at the end of the year, like they're making noise. Then I think you can be like, okay, look, we missed on, on this. Like we, we've got, we've got to reset our roster a little bit, but here's our foundation. We've got Aiden Shaw coming in next year. We've got, you know, Christian Jones, another kid we believe in. We're going to go into the portal. We're going to get, you know, these, these guys to kind of get this back to where, uh, you know, where we want it, which is at worst the middle of the pack SEC team. Because they're a long way from that right now. Right. And to your point about the youth, I think I, I looked at it when I cut the numbers up yesterday and during lunch today. And like I watched the game partially to overlay it. And there's the context of these numbers looked good against KU's, you know, sort of reserve small ball unit. So that matters. But you know, the lineups where you were seeing a lot of Brookshire and Davis paired together, where you were seeing Brazil on the floor with Kobe, like where you were really getting, you know, two or three freshmen some run against, you know, for certain stretches, there was about 13 minutes where that all kind of over, where that kind of tallied up to. The scoring margin was zero. Like, again, context, you know, they were seeing some bench units from KU, but the freshmen, you know, didn't fall apart you know, when they were, you know, asked to kind of come in and, and go toe-to-toe with a bench unit that would probably be a top 25 team. So, like, I think there's, you see pockets of it. Like, you see Trevon Brazil, you know, knock down some jumpers. You see him last game with the athleticism as a as a lob threat, you know. Sean Duregordon came in because Sean's time was then, said Sean Duregordon. But the kid just wanted to go make plays. There's, you know, I think Brookshire is starting to get a real sense of pace and how to play at this level and not just feel overwhelmed. You know, Kaida gives you some toughness and, you know, 
Like I, I really thought, like I thought Anton looked pretty good against did, Kansas. Yeah, I think he he didn't look overwhelmed. Like I don't think he made the kind of plays that you want to see him make. But I think he's growing into a, a situation where he feels like he can function as that secondary kind of ball handler there. Um, and you know, Kaida didn't have a good stretch. He got blocked by Christian Brown, but he's had stretches where he's looked really competent as kind of a help side defender where he's been able to, to muscle, you know, to hold up and on the post a little bit. It's just gotta be a decision at this point that, like you said, we're going to really expand the sample size. We know that's going to come with some lumps, but we need to take those and then let our guys develop cohesion, let them get some chemistry and then see what we've got in March. And, but doing it the way they're doing it now by like rolling Jordan Wilmore out there and to start a game, you know, given like what we've seen with our eyes and what you see in an Excel document, it's just like, you know, he plays 18 possessions a game that amount to essentially a minus five score. Like you're putting yourself in a two possession hole essentially by rolling him out there as a starter for an offense that struggles already. Like, is that an effective use of your lineup? Is that an effective use of Wilmore? Is that good for Wilmore? Is that good for... Like, it's... The question I have is, what's the rationale there? Like, when the video evidence is there, when the data is there, why keep doing it? And why not, you know, sort of say, you know, we'll we'll revisit this in spurts. We'll see if Jordan can you know, justify an expanded role because right now as the usage has been out there, even then it's modest, the results aren't backing up that choice. So like, I think that's just what confounds me is there's some choices that get made where it's like, is it really serving the end goal here? You know, would changing it's already bad is changing it going to be that much worse. And I'm just floored that there's like, hasn't been, more adaptations or more of a willingness to at least tinker with some things rather than stick with the status quo. Uh, I'm just flabbergasted. So you've, by that. Been, you've been, you've been at, at least tracking the lineups. Have, have they played Brazil to five? Yeah, they played them a little bit to five. Um, they may do it. He and DeGray will kind of interchange some five out. They've used a couple of four guard situations with him, um, which I think is interesting. If you could, uh, but I think you'd need some more shooting around there to make that work pretty well. But they've they've used him at the five. Um, but like when he and Ronnie are on the floor, you kind of can alternate who goes into that five spot a little bit. Sometimes one guy may go to the five. One guy may be the holding, may hold the low corner where he's going to be a cutter. But they've played him at the five. They've used him there. Um, they've used him at the four with Wilmore. Like he's moved around there. The only place he hasn't played is the three. But he's he's played the five. Yeah, I just think like, as he was coming in, that was one of the things that I thought would really kind of benefit the lineups would be, able, you know, to have a guy who is a very non-traditional five in that five role. Because uh, they they played Kobe there. They played Brian DeGray there. Uh, obviously, you know, Jordan Wilmore and, uh, and Yaya have both played minutes at the five. But to have somebody that can actually stretch the floor is a legitimate threat to stretch the floor and as a lob threat, you know, in that sort of, you know, short corner, extended corner. Um, 
to me, like that's that's how you get to five out. Like that's how you play effective five out basketball. Is you have, you know, somebody at the five who is who is a threat to score who's going to pull the opposing big guy away from basket. What I like it too is that he's a rim runner in the sense because right now they don't really they haven't had a traditional kind of rim runner because if Kobe's going to the glass and sort of grabbing and going. You know, your five-man might be Ronnie DeGray, but Ronnie's sometimes running to hold a corner. And so you don't have a guy on a dead sprint to the rim. Whereas I think with Brazil, you could do that a little bit more. Like, he's big enough and he's fluid enough and he's got good enough hands and good enough sort of spatial awareness that I think Kobe could hit it ahead to him. And he's got good enough hands and is fluid enough that he could make that catch kind of right at the SEC logo, take that one step and finish. So that's sort of in my thing is like, okay, if teams are going to bail on the defensive glass, let's put an uber athletic five out there and really just hunt rim runs. If we can, if we can't push and get a rim attack with our guard, let's just do that and then have Ronnie as your drag screener there and you can play out that way. So there's some things I think you could do with him at the five that would even maybe help you in transition a little bit. So that was... That's how I've sort of looked at him too in that spot. So on the uh, the non-competitive side of it, it was nice to have the game back, though. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like. I realize everybody, you know, like you want a competitive basketball team. I, you, Matt, and I also would like a competitive basketball team. Um, but just from like a strictly, like this is good for college basketball. Um, I, I really like, I just think it, everything would be better off if Missouri and Kansas were still in the same conference, um, playing twice a year, still hating Bill Self's cheating ass. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) not how you wanted it back. Um, but I'm glad it's back. Um, I'm glad there's a game on the schedule that, you know, Shame can be felt for a lot of the results so far, but this one, you know, has a little bit more resonance to it. And I think that's, that's always a good thing. I think that's what made, you know, Missouri fandom, you know, particular is that you have your particular rivalry with your particular history that, you know, nothing that no one else, it can't be marketed by ESPN as part of a, you know, conference network. It's got genuine history, genuine backstory to it. it it's not a creation for branding purposes and I, i'm glad that there's something real like that back um on the schedule even if it you know produced my twitter mentions with calls to fire gonzo martin again that's <laughs> i'll live with that to have the game back on the schedule um and the mute button exists but um yeah it was good to have it back now they gotta I find like a I really wish we could get fans to move off like the immediate, like I must have blood. Like, they, they let Kim Anderson coach the basketball program for three years. Like they can afford to let Constant Martin finish the season. Just let the season go. Constant's not going to get fired until the end of the season. I really like, if if a coach needs to step away like Mark Turgeon, I, I like I don't love that because I just think it it's weird. But I hate the midseason firing. 
you know, unless it's something like Greg Marshall, where you're physically assaulting somebody, uh, you deserve to be fired. You're a sexual harasser, you deserve to be fired. Middle of the season. But for underperforming, just let the guy finish. Like this isn't this isn't the NFL. It's not the NBA. You know, it, every every player in that roster is 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 there to play for Consul Martin. So just get off whatever you need to get off. Like go punch a wall if you feel like it's necessary. Don't punch a wall because you might break your hand and that's bad. But Consul Martin should not be fired mid-season. I don't care how bad this goes. He should be allowed to finish the season. Like, they made the NCAA tournament last year. Let him finish the season. Yeah, I, it, it's just... Like, I don't entertain it because there's just no rationale where it works. And if they go that route, whatever, that's... I mean, the, interim coach, Marco Harris? Like, is that better? <laughs> What what are we talking about? Chris Hollander, Cornell Mann, the uh, the guys who helped Consul Martin assemble this roster, uh, who have struggled to land high level recruits. I don't think are the guys that you like. Just just for your thirst for blood, and that's what it amounts to. There's some comment around Rock Nation, like it. All it is, it's going to make like. The irrational people happy. It and I like. I don't think it's we should not going to help you. It's never reach that point. It's not. Well, it's also not going to help you practically in a coaching search at this point. It like, doesn't like anything that you need to do in a coaching search. You can do right now with Co- with Conzo Martin under contract. Like Miami didn't even fire their coach and they hired another coach. Like Crystal Ball. Yeah. Although I, I would not encourage that. That that's that's uh dubiously that's ethically dubious. Um I wouldn't do that, but no, I, well, I but I'm just saying like 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 it, it is it is possible to do all the things that you wanna do to reach out, to make contact with agents. This stuff already happens. It's possible to talk to your boosters, engage that you can talk to representatives for your current coach and say, we'd like to negotiate an exit. Like all these things can happen here. Like, and the reason why I wouldn't want to make a firing right now is like, say there are some guys on this roster you like, maybe you want them to get a little momentum. Maybe you want them to feel like, okay, I've, I've had a semi positive experience here. I like, you know, being at this institution. I've, had a good season. I think I can be a part of whatever comes next here. Like punting, essentially punting on the season in January doesn't resolve anything at this point. Like the things they can do preparation wise, that there has to be a decision made to, to change leadership, all that groundwork can happen, you know, with, you know, with the current staff in place. It's just, I think the biggest thing, you know, we've talked about what you do moving forward is I think you have to, maybe you, I get less results based at this point and even like less kind of scheme based. Like I was watching the game and I wasn't charting as much of what Missouri was doing offensively. 
I was charting more like what guys were doing situationally when the ball comes to them. Like you want to see, oh, Trevon's making, like you were saying, there are some pass reads that are tough there, but oh, he's the jumper looks good. Like, I like that Sean's attack minded and staying aggressive. I think we, you know, you got to clean that up and channel it, but that's good to see. I, you know, Yaya Keda's got to, you know, finish a rim play and not get blocked by Christian Brown, but you know, he's doing some good things positionally on defense. Like, you're looking for those things now as opposed to what scheme fixes are there as opposed to what's this outcome mean here. It's really about now finding those core pieces and seeing what those guys do. And if it's enough to keep Conzo around, then so be it. If it's, if they can't do that, then you've at least got a sense for what this roster looks like for someone who's inheriting it. Like, I think that's the better energy you spend right now is, not looking at outcomes, not looking at, you know, scheme. It's really just trying to see are the guys that, you know, we think could be assets regardless of who the coach are, what are they doing? That's a better use of your time. And, you know, rolling with the punches on everything else. So uh, coming up, um, we have a whole week to sit around and do nothing until Saturday. Um we are recording this Monday, December 13th. Missouri uh, will take on the Utah Utes. Um, now that Utah themselves has sort of moved on from Lair Kristowiak, which uh, that, I mean, that whole thing was kind of surprising. He really got that thing going there for a while, and then they just sort of flatlined uh and got bad yeah um, uh, but then they were they were not bad last year um i mean they lost a lot of games but i mean not a lot of games were played um everything i read it seemed like that the ad there was just not happy with sort of the stability of the program i think they only had like four guys in his tenure exhaust their eligibility under him they you know lost you know Guys like Alfonso Plummer, Timmy Allen, to the portal. So it's basically like if you just took like the Frank Haith and Kim Anderson era and mashed it into one. Kind of, only less <laughs> poor results, and probably not as drastically, not as bad as um. Not Kim. yeah, not as bad a results. Also, not as good a results. They did have a three seed, I think, in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think you know there was a question of like, did it just get stale? You know, there wasn't the sort of stability within the program because Utah has never been a program that like really kills it with elite recruiting. Um, so continuity for that program really matters. Um, they sign guys that are like, I think an average of like an 88 out of a hundred in the composite, like medium three stars. So like if Larry was going to keep it, his job there and not land top end dudes, continuity was essential and that just wasn't there. So I think that their sort of rationale, at least from what I read when I researched the preview on them, you know, earlier in the fall was like, he had some good stuff on his resume, but like the formula wasn't working as intended. So, you know, go, you know, there was a lot of turnover in the portal. So like, let's just go get someone who has shown a knack for doing it, you know, at mid majors and small major and, you know, low majors. And they did that in Craig Smith and, you know, I'll admit when I looked at the roster back in like September and October, I sort of had questions about it, but 
the, the guys put together uh, at least a really good starting five. I don't know if they've got the depth to really be a factor in the Pac-12, but man, Raleigh Worcester's been a solid ball mover at the point. David Jenkins can just strafe you. He's like 42% on three balls in the half court. Both Gatch is like not a really, he's kind of a streaky shooter, but he can play out of closeouts and Riley Batten does a little bit. Both Gatch is back. Yeah, he's back after, you know, leaving Utah, going to Minnesota, then coming back after Richard Pitino got fired. And then Brandon Carlson's like taken a really nice step this year. That guy, like I watched some film on him. He can post you. He can play over his left shoulder on either block. He can, he can pop, he can roll. He's really good about like, finding good short crisp cuts to the short corner. Like he can do a lot of little things there and he's just, he's good positionally on defense. Like they've got four really solid dudes in that starting lineup. And then their bench has some pretty good defensive players. Like they can bring in Marco Anthony, who was like an all, you know, conference defender in the mountain West at Utah state. They've got, you know, a freshman that's, you know, can shoot a little bit off movement, but is a good, like, off-ball defender on screens and closeouts. They've got a post guy who only gets three or four touches, but, man, he maxes them out, and he can, you know, rim protect. Like, Craig Smith did what kind of, I think, people were hoping Gonzo Martin would do, and that's find pieces that fit what he wanted to do, and, you know, the two guys who stuck around have been really, really good starters for him, so... Um, it's a good basketball team. They've they've moved up, I think, 10 or 12 places in Kimpom since the year started, and Missouri has fallen 60. So that, if you were to gauge where both programs are after kind of starting in similar places roster-wise, um, Utah's doing pretty well. Um, it, it's going to be a good basketball team or a solid team coming in here. Yeah, I would say solid. Um, I mean, Missouri has beaten one solid team this year uh so i don't think there's necessarily yeah uh, yeah but utah's got more than one dude more than one dude and they've got guys (laughs) who do different things like you can't like the way i'll put it this way is worcester is their point guard like makes the right read like he's not crazy fast or crazy quick but he knows where the ball needs to go makes a good decision if you send too much help to cover you know, Carlson on the roll that he's going to kick it to Jenkins, who can bury you from deep. They can reverse it to Gatch, who can then attack the closeout. And then they can find, you know, Riley Batten in the short corner. Like they've got guys who do enough different things that fit together where it's not just like, oh, Kendrick Davis in a ball screen. Let's go make it happen, Kendrick. I, I think they've got a little bit more complete roster than what SMU had. And, and, they, pl- and they defend better than SMU does. So, uh, I'm. It's a long way of saying this is. This might not be. This might not be good on Saturday. Well, I don't really think anything's going to be good the rest of the year. Um, Put another way, I think the Kim Palm score might under under might underestimate it a little. I, I it's a three point margin, basically a toss up. Having watched Utah a little bit, having watched Missouri, and having looked at like the statistical profiles for both teams, I feel like maybe Utah might be a little bit heavier favorite than what the metrics kind of tell us, but we'll see. Yeah. Missouri, Missouri's offense has fallen to 99.5 adjusted efficiency. Um, 204, which Matt going back, it looks like Missouri has never had 
and adjusted efficiency under 100. Even when they were 230th in uh, Kim Anderson's last year, they were still 101.5. Yeah. I mean, the if you strip out the Paul Quinn game, they're raw efficient. They're like adjusted efficiency is like minus 6.6. It's 250th. Like once the Kim Palm data filters out by the end of the month, like the buffer data that you know normally is gone by the end of December, once that's actually happened, um, there could be some slide. The, it, 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 could, it will regress and those two numbers will come closer together. It's, it's a couple more ugly results like the KU game and it's going to be, it, it could be really, really ugly in the, in the metrics. Like it. Yeah, I'm really kind of curious to see what happens um, next couple games because, so they've got Utah on Saturday, they've got Illinois uh, the following Wednesday, uh, and then they're off until uh, the following Wednesday when they take on Kentucky. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not an easy road uh, because even like the bad SEC teams have not been completely atrocious. Um, Ole Miss uh, certainly looking worse than I thought they would be. They got blasted by Western Kentucky. Um, you know, Kermit still seems to kind of struggle to put together a consistent offense. I think they got a little lucky catching Memphis uh, when they did. Memphis has its own problems right now. Memphis has a lot of problems. Um, but yeah, like you, you look at the SEC and, all right, it's 10, 11, 12, 13. That's Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Uh, Kentucky at 21, Florida at 28, Arkansas at 34, Mississippi State at 47, and then AM at 64, and then it drops to 91, 91, 93, 99. Uh, and that's Mississippi, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina, and then Missouri and Georgia are both awful. Um, Georgia so far is better uh offensively worse defensively <laughs> that makes sense if you told me about the two coaches yeah like and missouri has had like games where they look really good defensively um and i mean granted it's been a bit against some really bad teams but um where you can kind of see like all right if they if they play like with this level of intensity they, they might be able to be decent defensively uh but then they go up against kansas and make all kinds of weird, horrible decisions, um, not covering shooters. Uh, so I don't know, like it is what it is. Zoe's not getting fired, uh, until the end of the year. Um, you know, barring, barring some kind of like resignation, which I don't know if anybody who knows Conzo, like, I think will tell you he's not a quitter. Um, he will keep, working and and trying and uh and grinding as much as he can and and that's where we are like we're yeah you i mean you're really at this point looking for could you get mississippi state at home could you get texas a&m at home you know are are you going to be able to pick off ole miss when they come here and georgia when they come here like can you get 
some winnable home games to flip to your column and um but yeah I, I, to me the the big question was always going to be if they could get they needed to have six or seven wins coming out of non-con and they're probably going to be at five and seven if you believe Kim Palm Iowa State looks like a loss you can't, five and eight here was just not going to be something you could really dig out of easily because it was going to require something like nine and seven to get you into something respectable and I just didn't see the schedule lending itself to that so really like if you're being objective and you're being honest as we sit here right now they're playing for an opportunity right now to get a chance to retool the roster in the spring that that's that's all it is now um and that that means like we said they've got to probably skew young and just take some lumps there so we'll see what that happens um if they continue to try and act like this is salvageable with the current setup then <laughs> I, I just don't know i don't think you're going to have some of those guys who you're counting on being good pieces wanting to stick around under those circumstances so that's like cuz imagine if you're a freshman who can't get floor time with this team like you're going to go look for it somewhere else probably so it's again you know we're going to try and avoid being you know repetitive here but for the sake of i think their sanity their efforts to save their jobs and for our sanity it should probably be a youth movement now where we're all watching how the youth get better and we're sort of evaluating that as opposed to you know saying maybe boogie's going to come around and be a 45 percent jump shooter like i think that that's out the window now you know at, at, at 10 games 10 or 11 games you kind of are what you are you know people are going to talk about what can they do schematically like sam you've coached that's why preseason practice exists so you can install everything and get the timing down like what could they do mid-season to overhaul the scheme? Probably not very much and have it look good or have it be effective. Um, I mean, they could... I was I was joking uh, saying that I would just like, just run Anton off of uh, a ball screen like 20 possessions uh, <laughs> a half and just see what happens. Like, Realistically, I think this was after the the Liberty game. When what what did they score in the first half? Uh, fourteen. Fourteen points, and even like three of those were like right at the end, right? Um, three free throws. So, I'm like, yeah, like if you just went one four flat with Anton Brookshire, like I'm pretty sure he he could score more than that. Like what what what's the point of running offense? If kicking it to a freshman point guard going one four flat is going to net you more points, and and again, like Anton in that game was not good, uh, but you scored fourteen points <laughs> against a mid major. So I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see how this goes any other way. Uh, if like if Zoe wants to keep his job, 
he has to go young and be prepared for a really, really big overhaul. And, you know, like, well, we'll, we'll see. You know, I think, I think you're skeptical that, that it would sort of end up that way. I'm skeptical it would end up that way. Um, you know, I just, I, I hope for the best for him because I, I think he is an outstanding human. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is at this point. So what are, I mean, they, they were out Saturday night watching Aiden Shaw. They were chatting with Shaw's parents and checking in with him. I mean, they're going about it like they got a job to do, which is the only thing they can do at this point. Um, and you know, I can say this much, the Shaw's are, you know, they are taking a positive outlook. They are committed here. They are you know, as locked in on Mizzou as anything else, they are locked in on Zoe as anything else. You know, I, I, every time I've talked to Christian Jones, he sounds like he's committed. I, like, I think the thing is, at this point, it's got to be about earning, you know, a couple months to retool this roster. I don't I don't know what next year is going to look like until we see what the rest of this season looks like, but I think that that's the goal is you just have to earn yourself a chance to do something. If it's a staff, staff reorg, if it's going hard into the portal, like the idea that you're going to be able to like sell, like even this is our core for a tournament team next year is kind of, you know, muted now. Like you just need to get to the point where you can go back and really strip out some parts and, and, and really try and fix this. Cause if you do get next year, the the heat's going to be on the entire time. Like, it, I I just don't. And I guess the question is, you know, it, is the fan base going to be there for this in year six? You know, or so, just a lot has to happen, and it's got to happen well, yeah, really I think- quick. I think the only way that the fan base would ever come back was uh, with with Zoe still as the head coach is with just like a monster spring. Um, like and they did it obviously with the coaching change in 2017. I'm not saying that you need to have you know the top overall recruit in the country commit to your program, um, but you would need to have like two to three like major moves. Uh, to sort of signal that like, okay, like this is, this is a legitimate thing. We're going to give this a real shot here. And then like, and obviously like, I think Caleb love is going to be going pro after this year, the way he's kind of been playing so far. But I'm thinking like that kind of player kind of coming back uh, out of the portal and, and, and sort of being, um, being the answer that, um, that could fix some of the ales. Uh, I just, otherwise I, yeah, I think you're fighting a really, really big, long uphill battle. Um, but yeah, that's where we are. We're at, we're at 59 minutes. We should, we should close this out. Yep. Yep. Another uplifting sunshine pumping. podcast. <laughs> we, yeah. And we have like another, like two plus months of this, Matt, we're going to have to figure out something else to do. Um, maybe like look at some other uh, college basketball games that are, being played better. Um, Baylor again, looks like they're pretty damn good. Imagine losing like, like that many 
great players off of a national championship team like Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, uh, Mark Vidal, right? And coming back and like <laughs> your, your adjusted efficiency is almost better. Like you're a better offensive team. Uh, no, not, not quite better offensive, but you're a better defensive team. Uh, and you're number one in adjusted efficiency. Um, you're Baylor Bears, man. I remember at one point, a lot of people thought Scott Drew couldn't coach. I think Scott, I, I, I just like seeing what he did there, where he basically, like over three or four cycles, just punted like on taking big name guys and went in and got developmental dudes. Like for a while they were like taking guys that were like rated on par with like Anton Brookshire. Like they were building around guys and building culture. And then they, you know, got, you know, Davion Mitchell as a transfer, you know, they, I think Mark, they added another transfer. I can't remember who else it wasn't Mark vital, yeah, but they, like J- Jared Butler was a guy. Uh, they got a little lucky with him because I, I believe he had an issue getting cleared medically uh, at Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And then... But uh, they, and so he, he went in, like, I don't know if it's like a transfer portal since I don't think he, he was technically uh, on the roster or anything like that. But he ended up going to Baylor where, you know, Baylor's kind of like Kansas. If you're a good player, they'll clear you. I mean, I think, <laughs> like, Isaiah Austin couldn't play in the NBA got cleared at Baylor um so yeah I think there's definitely some more flexible rules as far as getting guys you know onto the roster and eligible and all that kind of stuff but uh no I I agree with you that he he pivoted from the sort of approach of of landing high level guys and landing guys who were a little further down and guys that sort of fit what they're trying to do and uh and in turn like the program went from like really pretty good. I mean, they were never bad uh, to like the last like three years, just being elite. Yeah. Yep. So pivots can happen. You can do it. Um, we'll see if there's any kind of pivot that can happen here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good segue. Uh, so we'll be back uh, next week after utah and talk illinois um and and all that we're we're getting close to christmas i hope everybody is is got their shopping done all prepared for the holidays uh and you know what if you have something to do on saturday uh the game will be played like in the middle of the afternoon, I believe it's a 3.30 tip. If you have something to do, just go do it. You know, if it's if the weather's nice and you want to, you know, clean up the yard a little bit, just go do that. You don't have to watch Missouri play basketball. You can look at the score after the game is over, know the result, and then decide if you want to go back and watch the game. Whereas Matt will watch it twice for you. <laughs> Are you going to, like, you watch Kansas now, like, half. Are you going to go uh, watch it twice? Uh. The second half, actually, I like, I will say it is, it, it is sort of interesting. 
I do like watching Shunder Gordon play because he has just like no. sort of a natural athleticism. He he actually looks like I'll probably only, I'll probably only watch he, this once. I'll probably only watch it once. Well, I was gonna say like like Shunder Gordon has almost like a young Jordan like quality to the way he plays and moves and all that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's interesting. Like you go back and sort of watch how Jordan moved. Clearly, like Michael Jordan was a much better basketball player. I'm strictly talking about how he moves on the floor. But you watch him, and it's like, like Jordan from the Carolina days. The way he sort of like slithers and uh, just has like a really natural ability to move his body in ways that's that's interesting. I'll take a look at that, but uh, because I can stop and rewind now instead of watching it live, uh, I'll probably just watch it once, and that'll be sufficient. I, I don't think there's a lot of reason to watch it twice. Uh, so we'll be back um, next week, and until then, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.